That's right. Take the mic. There we go. Put it on the front seat. There we go. That's right. Practice, practice, practice. Uh, let's see. I am on. There we go. Yeah, that's what we're talking about today. Um, so first of all, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, if I don't have a chance to see you and make it to your house on Thursday, um, happy Thanksgiving now. Um, so that's there. And then um, just because I'm not sure how this is going to go today, I'm going to pray real quick. Uh, we can join in prayer for the campfire. Then we'll jump into the sermon. Father, I just pray we come together and pray. As a united body, Lord, we see the stats on the news. Some of us have connections up there. Uh, we can barely even fathom the devastation, the loss of people, of property, um, the devastation, the shock still, the pain, the agony, the uncertainty. And God, I pray for each of those who are affected. We pray uh, united. We plead to you, God, that you bring comfort, you bring healing, resolution, put out the fire, favorable air conditions, everything. Uh, Father, your church sits up there on the front lines as we support them. God, we cry out for those who have lost family, for those still waiting in the uncertainty in the week of Thanksgiving. God help us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you were here last week, you remember that we ended our 36-week um, year-long season on service, our, our sermon series on Discipler, right? And so we had a great visual on with that. And we have a couple weeks off until we start the Christmas thing. And I saw kind of some tiredness in Jeff's eyes. So I said, hey, let me, let me take this Sunday. Why don't you take a break? So he's off today. Um, and, he, and I said, anything that you want me to cover? And he said, it's up to you, right? So um, I actually already had something on my heart. Um, so that's what I was going to bring. You know, with Thanksgiving coming up, I thought, in, in my whole life of, of being in church, I've never heard anybody touch on this subject. Well, not exactly. We're going to deal with the F-bomb today. The F-word. It's very bombastic. We, sometimes we hear it in funny situations. Yes, we, we are going to talk about it. This may be the last sermon that I ever do, right? I see an elder here. <laughs> but it's high tide. We dealt with the F word. Well, you thought it was going to be faith, huh? The other F word. <laughs> I got you. That might be next week, right? But, but this word is so explosive sometimes. The F word, forgiveness. Um, so many of you, some of you know my story. Um, this, this was a challenge for me. That in my life, I've had to deal with this in deep, humbling, heart-wrenching ways. That there was a season in my life when I, some of you may know this, I took what I call my sabbatical from God. I told him he could actually use the F word, uh, the one he might have been thinking about. Um, and that's what I told him he could do. And then about four years later when he was trying to deal with me before he really was going to let me go into some bad ways, I surrendered to him. And when I did that, I came back to the church and I, and I found a guy a couple years older than me who discipled me and a couple other guys and just working through, like, what is the Bible say about these certain things, just, just discipling me, just from, from zero to a hundred. And one of the things we dealt with was the area of forgiveness. 
And as we were working through this subject, I remember sitting, you know, in the attic of the house that he and his wife rented in downtown San Jose and sitting around and on the floor drinking tea. And we got to this subject matter. And he said, are, are there people in your life, in your life, Tim, that, that you haven't dealt with in forgiveness? I said, yeah, there's a couple. So he had me make a list, and it was more than a couple. It was a very long, very long and personal list. I think my parents were at the top, followed by my grandfather, followed by a brother, an aunt, cousins, friends, ex-friends, enemies. Like, it was a long list. And he challenged me. He said, well, we've been studying forgiveness. What does the Bible say? I'm like, I, I think I'm supposed to forgive them or ask them to forgive me. He said, yeah. So the challenge was work through this list. At the top of that list were my parents. You see, I had to own what I had to own with the anger and rebellion that I showed towards them for some of the pain that I received from them. I, could, I couldn't own what they did. I could only own what I did. And so I remember we sat down at their kitchen table and I, and I found the breath and the strength to go deep and, and humble myself and say, you know, for many years I was rebellious, I was angry towards you, I was resentful. All of these things, will you forgive me? And then we walked through that. The first 10 to 12 years of my life, they were gone. My dad owned two Kentucky Fried Chicken stores. It meant he worked seven days a week, open to close. I, I didn't know my dad. When we would walk, my brother and I, we'd walk home from the elementary school that we went to. We wouldn't go to our house because our parents were working. We would go to this house for a season. We would go to that house. We'd go to another house until about 7, 7.30, my mom would get off work, come home, pick us up, and cram a day's worth of love into about a half an hour, an hour, and put us to bed. And I was angry. And then by the grace of God, they found out when I was about 10 that this was going to kill them, quite literally, if they kept running so raggedly. And so they sold their stores. And somehow as a teenager growing up, I figured, good, then you sold these stores. So there must be this cash of money sitting there that at least I didn't get the parents. I was going to get the bucks. Well, it took my dad a long season of life to, uh, to find a job and get a rhythm. And so what was probably going to be their nest egg and the money that I was thinking might be the solve for my wound was spent just for groceries and a roof over our head. And there was nothing there. And I was mad. I didn't have the parents of the family I wanted, and I dealt with them, and you gave me abandonment, and I didn't get the money I should have gotten. And that left a very bitter, ticked-off Tim. And it showed and so I remember humbling myself and, and sharing that with them and in tears going both ways. And my dad sharing, son, I, I forgive you. We forgive us. And then he told me the story of his life that I didn't know. And I knew that, that his upbringing wasn't all that good. My grandparents, his parents got divorced. It was bitter. It was ugly. The resentment my grandmother held on to till the day she died, and she even voiced that bitterness, and it broke my heart. 
I mean, he told me stories about growing up in, living in what was the equivalent of, a, of an army hospital tent in the backyard of the house that my grandmother was a, a maid in. And after the divorce up in Palo Alto area, they lived in a barn with bat feces everywhere. Five boys and a, and, a, and, a, and a father who was out carousing and working, and it was not pretty. And so he made a promise to himself that come hell or high water, when he had a family, he was going to provide a safe, loving home environment. Because he didn't want his kids to go through what he and his brothers went through. And he sacrificed for that. And then I understood. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until we sat down at the table for an honest conversation, humbling ourselves to deal with that and to seek forgiveness on both sides. That was name one off the top of my list. And I thank God we took that step. This is what we're going to walk through today. Um, There's a lot here. Um, And as I'm preaching, I would enjoy your praying. And God, I pray that as we look at your scripture, Lord, that our hearts are open and receiving what you're about to bring to us. Amen. As I prayed about that, I mean, there's a lot. This could be a whole sermon series on itself, other than one day that I'm trying to get through a lot of stuff. But as I was praying, this was the first scripture that came to my heart. When Paul's writing to, to the Colossians in this church here, he's writing, it's one of my favorite books. But he's writing through and he gets to chapter 3, and he's dealing with a lot of things that, that you, you now, as believers, you should have your, your minds on things above and your hearts on things above, not the way the world is. The way the world operates and the way the kingdom operates are radically different. And so he says, set your, th- your hearts and your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then he goes through chapter um, 3 to get to this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Right? These are the virtues of the kingdom that Paul is saying we as believers have to put on. Like we would get dressed in the morning. These are things that they don't ever actually get taken off. We have to wear these. And good luck wearing them out in your whole life. But he said these are the virtues that are of the kingdom. Put these on. And as I look at that list, it, it really, it's very relational. And they're key for what comes next. That we put these things together and we put these virtues on. And then with that heart and that attitude, we move into the next verse. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against another person. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I have to be honest that if I'm, if I'm going through and I'm putting on kindness, gentleness, patience, and all those things that he just said, it's a lot easier for me to then put them into action with these two commands. To bear with one another, right? To, to suffer along with them while they might still be abusive with you, it's really, it's restraining your, probably your natural tendency to get even and to tear them down. And all the things, the way the world says to treat somebody, God says, no, bear with them. Be patient with them. Be long-suffering with them. Be kind with them. And then forgive. 
and forgive them. Be patient, kind, humble, gentle, so that we can then be patient and bear with one another and then forgive each other. Because we're called to do that. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's not a a good idea. It would be good. This will help you out. No, it is a stern command. And, And then I love that next part. In case we have any question as to what it looks like, he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did the Lord forgive you? Unconditionally? It cost him his life. He doesn't not forgive anybody that asks. And it was very vivid to what they were working on at the beginning of the church age. They knew how God had forgiven them in Christ. And so he holds that as an example. He says, if you have any doubt in your mind what forgiveness looks like, it's the forgiveness of God in Christ. That if we confess our sins, we humble ourselves in faith and we ask, he doesn't deny forgiveness to anyone. But I don't know about you, but when when I had to really deal with the cross and ask God to forgive me, it, it required humility. It, it required me owning my stuff and being honest. And that humility. And so Paul writes that here, that we bear with one another. Right? We restrain our natural or worldly temptation to react the way the world does. And I wonder sometimes if we follow the ways of the world more than we do the commands of Christ through Paul here. And then to forgive. And that idea here, as I thought about that, that idea of forgive as the Lord forgave you, that that two things. That one, it's utterly inappropriate to know and receive God's forgiveness and then yet refuse to give that to somebody else. And then likewise, it is highly presumptuous to not forgive somebody who God has already forgiven. And I'm assuming that if there's an issue between you and somebody else, that first and foremost, maybe they went to God and they asked to forgive, forgive me for the way that I treated that person, and God forgave. And then I go to that person and you say, no way, I will not forgive you. Really? You're going to not forgive somebody that God has already forgiven. And you know there are, there are several parables that deal with that when people are asking and looking for forgiveness and they receive that. And then they go out and they won't forgive other people. And the harsh rebuke that Jesus gives them in the parables when they do that. Forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I know in that that there's an implied element of confession which requires humility, which is where he started this section of the letter. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity, that the result of those virtues being um, brought to fruition in bearing with one another in forgiveness should lead to this, love. 
that binds them together. And it's, and it's not clear what, the, what the, the, the them are in this, binds them together, right? It either binds all of the virtues together, like you would put on a robe and then tie it around so nothing falls out of place. But because he's talking about the church here in perfect unity, it's more likely to binds us together. Because love is trying to bring about unity. And it's utilized through these virtues that come through kingdom characteristics. And it comes with bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And then you have this love in action. And oh, by the way, it brings everything together. And it's not love that we can contrive on our own. It's the very love of God in our humble hearts that says, God, I'm willing to love my friend, my relative, my neighbor, my, my body member of the church. And it brings about this unity. It's the unity of the church that God desires. It not only desires, but that's the goal. But yet when we're unforgiving and we're bitter and we're angry and we're those things that aren't this, and you, we expect unity to take place. But he continues this. And he says that, that put these things together. That there is forgiveness and, and there is bearing with one another. And you know when that takes place, that looks radically different from the world. And as I was thinking about this verse in my quiet time in my studies, that it reminded me to, to, what, to what Jesus said on the night he was betrayed. I give you this new command that you love one another, and by this love they will know. They, the people who are not yet a part of this, will know you're my disciples, and it's supposed to be an evangelistic effort as well. But if we don't forgive and we don't bear with one another and we don't do all these things that Paul says, we don't look any different from the world. And how can we be a light that shines on a hill? In fact, actually, we look hypocritical. We're like, oh, yeah, you're not very different than, than I am. But when it's happening, it's inviting. It, 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 they can't figure it out. And that's what Paul is talking about here, that there's this thing called forgiveness that should radically change the people of God. And it should bring about unity. Then he goes on to say, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. And this peace that he's talking about here isn't an interpersonal peace. isn't a peace of mine. It's not a peace in my heart. It's a communal peace. It's the absence. It's the absence of hostility. In the Hebrew, it would have been the shalom, that there was safety and there was peace on all sides. And in the Greek, it's the same thing, that, it, that it's an absence of hostility, that there's friendship. That there, there is peace. Right? We're coming into Christmas, the season of peace. It's that desire that there's no more war, there's no more hostility, there's no more angst with other people. <sighs> that there's forgiveness. That there's true peace on earth. And there should be peace within the people of God. And it leads to thankfulness. Here we are, the week of Thanksgiving. 
We may find ourselves in a living room around a table or somewhere with family members that we might need to take a walk outside and have a long conversation. Bring your umbrella and bring your jacket. He says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, not your anger, not your bitterness, not your frustration, not your hurt. But let the message of Christ dwell among you. As you richly teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The message, the message of Christ, right? It's either one of two things. It's either the things he taught when he was here, or the context is more likely because of what Paul has been writing. It's the message. It's the gospel good news message of who Jesus is. And oh, by the way, God was reconciling the world through himself in Christ. It's the message. It's the gospel message of Jesus. And he says this. This should be richly amongst yourselves as you teach one another. As you admonish. As you admonish. Right? We encourage one another. Sometimes it's a difficult conversation. Sometimes, and, and, I, and I was thinking about that this morning in my quiet time before I got here. Last year, I, I had the gift for my wife to have a running coach. I ran some difficult races last year, and so she got me a coach, right? And as I went and I would meet with my coach, right, I, I had to humble myself before my coach, who's an elite runner, and she broke down my stride and my gait, and she broke me down to build me up, to make me more effective and efficient. So I could conquer the things I was going for. It wasn't a tear down to leave Tim down. It was, no, we're going to work on this. We're going to fix it. But I'm with you. And it wasn't antagonistic. But sometimes these admonishments, we have to deal ruthlessly with the things in our life that keep us from what Christ or what Paul is saying here. But it's done in love with the hope of peace with the purpose of unity, with those virtues that we started off with. And oh, by the way, I'm with you in this. That's what Paul is saying here. And it results in being able to teach one another, to receive instruction, to receive admonishment, and then to have such a grateful heart that we're able to sing all kinds of songs together to praise God for what he's doing in us. And I think about that. When I'm bitter... When I'm angry, when I'm raging, when I'm unforgiving, I can't do this. I can fake this, and I can drive away knowing I was utterly hypocritical. And people see it. We're not that good at poker players. Come on. But the bitterness that accompanies unforgiveness and grace... In Ephesians, Paul writes um, a very similar theme of things that he writes in Colossians. There's a lot of parallels in the two books, if you've ever read them side by side. And I love these two verses, kind of condenses down what we just walked through. In two, two sentences here, two verses back to back, he says, Get rid of all, all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, how you speak about other people. 
along with every form of malice. I love that. There's sometimes Paul will write a list, and he's just like, in case I missed anything, here's a blanket statement. All kinds of malice. In case you weren't sure what words I was using, here is just a catch-all phrase, like get rid of all of it. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you. And I think about this. I go back to my list. There was this list that I had, and I was working through it one by one by one, and it, it was taking a while, but I was intentional. I was ruthless. But there was a name on there that when the guy who was discipling me said, hey, what about this name? I said, yeah, no. What? You've been doing so good. What do you, what do you mean no? I'm like, well, this person um, in high school, and it's a big deal in high school, go back to high school, he stole my girlfriend in, my, in the high school group at our church, was one of my best friends, stole my girlfriend, and um, was not loyal to me. Of which, when you're my friend, we are loyal. Like, we're going— if, there's a battle going on. I'm by your side until we die fighting that battle. Because why? My friends became my family when my family was at work. And that carried over so that my, my friends became my family. So this is my brother. And I'm like, you stole my girlfriend. What can I do to you? I know. Let's get the whole high school group at the church to not like you and to tear you down and you leave. That worked. That felt good. That was wrong. But that pain was just so hard for me to deal with. I told the guy who was discipling me that, no, I'm not going to seek him out. I won't look for him. And I'm not going to do that. He said, hmm, we have a problem, Tim. You have a problem. I don't. So, all right, how about we make a deal? When's the last time you've seen him? Like, I don't know. It's been five years, six years. All right. How about if you just happen to run into him by happenstance? And if you run into him, then you will take the steps corrective to, sure. You know, I haven't seen him for six years. I don't have no idea where he is. I feel pretty good with that. So we shook on it. Then I needed some newer shoes for my work at HP, and so here I am at the mall at my, in, by my house at Macy's, and for whatever reason, my store Macy's didn't have shoes that I liked. Tim doesn't shop at Nordstrom's. This day, I walked down the hall, down the mall, into Nordstrom's, and I'm looking at shoes in the Nordstrom's men's department, and I hear this voice from a guy saying, Tim, or no, said, excuse me, sir, can I help you find some shoes? And I heard that voice, and I knew. I'm like, really, God? (laughs) And I prayed a way that I'm not supposed to pray. And I remember my back was to him. It seemed like forever. And I remember my conversation and my promise with my discipler. (sighs) So I took a deep breath and turned around, and he saw who the customer was. Hey, Jeff. His name really was Jeff. Not this Jeff. (laughs) Man. Um, So I was true to my word. And I set up a time. I didn't, I think I bought shoes. I forget where I got the shoes. I forget about shoes. I remember the story. And we got together. 
And um, I humbled myself and I confessed my sin to him. Well, the fact that an evangelistic guy like Tim would get this guy kicked out of the church, really. People to help other people to treat him poorly so he would leave. I had a lot to confess. And then I extended that, that hand of grace and invited him into the college group. Because he hadn't been going back to church since I helped to um, get him out of church. And so he was there for a season, and, and we reconnected. And yeah, I don't know where he went, but I had a chance to make things right. Not my proudest moment but it was redemptive. You see, I understand the bitterness and the rage. Um, It feels powerful at times because we've been so hurt. I understand the hurt. I understand abandonment. I understand abuse. I understand being cheated on in, in some regards. I understand that all of those things being lied to, being stolen from, they're painful. And I don't want to negate that. It hurts. It's real. It's devastating. God says, yeah, I know. Now you know how I feel. And I forgive. And I want you to forgive. And so I did. And I don't want to diminish. I know, I know, I know. Some of our pain is so deep. Right? And there is a difference between forgiveness, and I know it takes time to rebuild trust, and then whatever a relationship can look like, but at least we can be in the same room without me wanting to truly kill you. But the pain is real, and I know that. I know that on some of the deepest levels, and, and I know that. And God says, hey, be kind and compassionate and forgive the way I did. And oh, you don't think it hurts God's heart? They grieve the spirit? What did he say to Noah? Like he was so sad he even made mankind. He found one faithful family. I don't think it was God's favorite day when he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. But he had a plan. He said, you know what? You did this, but I'll take care of it. Romans, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, the reality is I I can't own what the other person will or won't do with what I say. I can only own me, and I have to own me. That as I come to that person and confess my sin and humble myself and say that I'm sorry and repent and all of those things and I put it out there, I have no idea, and neither do you, how the person will respond. That's their business. My business is to humble myself and be compassionate and kind. You see, number two on my list was my grandfather on my mom's side. I was the second oldest grandchild, second oldest grandson, and he made no bones on who his favorite was, and it wasn't grandson number two. 
And so I had a life of trying to deal with abandonment of parents, but I had life of a grandfather who loved my brother and what seemed like didn't love me. And so I, I really do know how to be rebellious and angry and flip you off from around the corner and all these other things that just had this burning rage in me. And that's what he received from his grandson. And so I remember the day I was going to drive up to Auburn and, and, and confess that sin and make things right with him and sitting at the table with my mom. And he said, you know, I'm very proud of you, son, for what you're about to do, but you need to understand my father... I have never once in my life heard him say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? So you need to have a proper expectation when you go up there to make things right. You most likely, because I've never heard it in my life, will you hear the words you want to hear? But I'm proud of you for doing what you're about to do. And I went. And as we took a break on that Saturday and had a sandwich and a beer from cutting all the wood for his winter fires, I said, you know, Gramps, uh, I'm happy to come up and help you. I know it's not what grandson number two normally does. That's my brother. Here's why I'm here. And I took a deep breath and I said, I, I treated you like garbage. I use a different word. You can with your grandfather. You're having one beer on a hot summer day. And he said, oh, thank you. That was it. Fast forward about 25 years, uh, it's his 80th birthday, and um, we're having a surprise party for him, and things did get better between us from that point. Um, but we made him this scrapbook, this photo album, and each of the, the grandchildren's families put together several pages, and we put it all together, and he sat down with each of us and went through our photo pages for his book. And we were going through mine, and he turned to me and said, you know... Tim, I, I always loved you, but you're wired so differently. And I get that a lot. You're wired so differently. I, I didn't know how to speak your language, but I have never not loved you. I'm sorry. Like, I thought Christ was coming back right after that. I'm like, come on, this is it, right? And we had a great relationship. He knows one of my love languages is that family's recipe for blueberry pies. And after running the Cape Cod Marathon one year, when we were back there in October, he was there as well, and he made a pie. And he said, no, only Tim gets to eat this pie. From the blueberries I picked out behind the old family houses by the railroad tracks where they get the biggest, taste the best. Over two days, I think I ate a whole pie. <laughs> Who says forgiveness isn't sweet? But as far as it depends on you, live at peace. And then I'm going to read the last set of scripture, which I'm going to give you a warning. This may be hard to hear. Maybe you've never understood it this way. Before I, yeah, on Wednesday when I was praying through the scripture, I'm like, I got to come up and preach this on Sunday, God. And I, and I'm not, this is just honest truth. I learned from my list. I keep short, very short account. 
on when there's an issue between me and, and, and another person. On our Wednesday, I'm like, ah, have you fully dealt with this with this person? So out of the blue, I sent him a text. said, hey, I need to, I, we need to talk today. We found a time. We got on the phone. We walked through things of last year and this year. And we made right. Because I was not going to come up here and preach and be hypocritical. And it was difficult. He had, he had no idea what was coming. And it was a very frank conversation, but it was healing. And we prayed for each other at the end of it. That I know I can see that brother in person, and there's no issue. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mountain says this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you because you sinned, leave your gift in the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Forgiveness, there's an issue with worship. Right? The prophets, even Jesus spoke about that, how they would come and they would worship and they would present their offerings with a brutally bad heart. And God says, I I don't want your junk of your sacrifice until your heart is right. He's like, I don't want this. What do I need with that? I want your heart. And here is Christ on Sermon on the Mount preaching this, that if there's an issue, it's this big of a deal, that it's a deal of worship. That if you come into worship and you have unresolved reconciliation where you have not forgiven or sought forgiveness, you're to leave your gift. You're to leave worship and not follow through and go make right and be reconciled. Then come and worship. That it's that big of a deal to God that it affects our worship. Which is why on Wednesday, I'm like, there's no way I'm preaching this until I have this thing resolved. And I don't know as we sit here, there's people on your heart, people in your mind. If there's things you've said about people or gossip you've entertained or you've carried on, I don't know if there's anger My job is not to look into your heart. My job is to help admonish and walk with you in dealing with things of the heart. You know your heart. God knows your heart. And you know what's going on right now. And you know if there's people on your list. God knows there's people on your list. And the challenge here is to deal with that. And in closing, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, there's, there are some key realities of forgiveness. And this is meant, hopefully, to encourage us. That God initiated and modeled it in Christ. And that it's, an, it's a foundational element of the kingdom. Right? Other than our faith that, that, that brings us to repentance, right? Or that we humble ourselves through faith to receive what Christ has done on the cross. But forgiveness, it's core. And again, it's a command, not a suggestion. And it results in some of these things. Reconciliation. Right? It changes or restores friendships from adversaries to friends to healthy friendships. It promotes unity and builds godly community. Community. 
It produces peace. And it roots out. I think this is the antidote. Forgiveness to all that junk in our lives and bitterness and anger and all that stuff. This, this is the antidote to all that. Is to let go of it and give them to God. And let God walk through it with them. We're called to forgive. And what I want to have us do as we come to our time of prayer is I'm going to keep this scripture up here and we'll turn our hearts to prayer and the worship team's going to come up here. Um, That's why I kind of prayed for the fire at the beginning. I, I want to have us just spend some time in quiet prayer as the worship team comes up. But this verse here is something that I go through often. In Psalm 19, at the end of that, I love what David writes here. He says, but who can discern, discern their own errors? And I love these two things. Forgive my hidden faults. Like, there's sometimes, I know, like, my joking sometimes cannot be the best. And I know there's still a heavy dose of sarcasm in Tim, which is just another form of sometimes anger and hurt. Sometimes I, I step on people's toes and I have no idea. And I love what David says here. Just, God, forgive my hidden faults. I know I blow it. I'm human. And all that, that willful sin when I chose to sin, when I knew, like, hey, Tim, this isn't the best step to take, and I did it anyway. And yet I confess that, and he forgives. Both the hidden and the, and the revealed. And he says, I love that. It says, then, right, as I, as I confess those, and he forgives then. Then will I be blameless and innocent of transgression. Right? And then the redemptive part. May the words of my mouth, the things I say to other people, the speech, the meditation of my heart, what starts in here with all of my actions, may be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That as we pray now, and then, then um, Antoinette, I'll let you and the team, when you feel ready to... Um, to launch into that first song, go for it. But just spend the next few minutes, just if there's somebody on your list, if there's somebody in your mind that you can start playing, that you need to make right with. Or you want to pray this like David prayed, God, forgive me of my hidden faults and the things I did intentionally. We take this time to make right in worship. Because it is an act of worship. And then, uh, Antoinette, when you are ready, just launch into that first song and you, we, you, that will end that type of prayer. And when she does, remember that communion's here, right? The ultimate expression of what God did on the cross in His Son, Jesus, and the opportunity to give with a grateful heart. But do your business first. And if you need, I'm going to give you permission, right? You leave if your lights are on and I tell you it's your um, license plate, right? If, if you need to go and make a phone call or drive to someone's house or send an email or a text or I have a smoke signal won't get through right now, so try something more direct. Go and make right, which is an act of worship.